Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What is the first holiday movie you remember making an impact on you? I mean, Rudolph was probably the first one I I saw as a kid. I just, I loved it. I just remember watching it. You know, I think I could probably recite most of it. Um, It was definitely part of our sort of family tradition. So, yeah, I still love watching that one. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Laura Richardson, the chief marketing officer of Hallmark Media, which includes three networks, the Hallmark Channel, which we all know and love, Hallmark Movies and Mysteries, and Hallmark Drama, as well as the streaming service, Hallmark Movies Now. Based in Studio City, California, Hallmark Media is a subsidiary of Kansas City-based Hallmark Cards. After graduating from Washington State University with a degree in communication and theater arts, Laura got her start in media in Lubbock, Texas, producing a children's TV show. We'll talk about that. Since then, she has worked for USA Broadcasting, Oxygen Media, A&E Networks, and Discovery Inc., where she worked for nearly 11 years. Lara has been CMO at Hallmark for two years. Now cuddle up, put on a holiday sweater, make yourself some popcorn. This is my cheery conversation with Lara Richardson. Lara, welcome to the CMO podcast. Now, this is a true story I'm going to start with. I was preparing for this podcast a few nights ago, and I had some Christmas candles lit. I had a glass of wine. I was eating some homemade Christmas cookies, and my wife walks by. And it kind of remarks, what is this? A new Hallmark movie, Christmas lights and candlelight? So I just want to say, Laura, do we have a concept here? Do you think we have an idea? <laughs> I think we do. I think we have. I think we can spin that off many times. <laughs> Super. Well, we got to get, you know, got to get a little bit of romance in there, of course. And my wife's around and a little bit of tension and, and it has to have a happy end. That's right. Positive ending. Positive, positive ending. Ending. Not always Not happy. Always positive. positive. That's a, okay. Positive ending. Okay. Oh, I like that. We'll talk more about that. Now, I just shared with you uh, an idea for a show, right? You must get lots of that from your family, your friends, your fans, because you're so darn popular and so much a part of all of our lives. So how do you handle that? How do you handle all the ideas that you must get? I mean, the thing is, is... I I hate I used to hate it when people would say, oh, a good idea can come from anywhere, because in some ways I'm like, oh, that sort of diminishes what I do. But once I got <laughs> once I got a little bit uh, more mature, shall we say, and further into it, I, I realized that that is very true. Um, there are so many good ideas out there. They're not all necessarily on brand or strategic, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of good ideas out there. And so I try to always listen because it may not be an idea that we is remotely even close to something that we would do. But, but what it does is it validates who we are as a brand. 
And when somebody cares enough to say, oh my gosh, I have this idea. And most of the time, it's probably pretty close because we have such a defined brand. But more and more, I think those ideas are evolving just like our brand is evolving. So I love hearing it. I love hearing it when people come up and do that. Now, is there a Hallmark holiday movie that has not been made yet that you would personally like to make or to see made? Ooh, that is a great question. Um, Yes, but I'm not going to reveal it here because I still have to pitch it to Lisa, who's our head of programming. Still got to pitch it. Oh, so you do have an idea. I do have an idea. Um, But I will tell you this. um, This year, we had a movie air called Three Wise Men and a Baby. Mm-hmm. And it did incredible numbers, just blew up on social. And that idea came from our internal team, not somebody who is a program developer, but to your point of people coming up with ideas, yeah. she was like, what about the the guys of Hallmark? What can we do there? So you never know what's, where it's going to come from. You are well into your countdown to Christmas, which began, I think, in late October. And I just want to know, how's it going this year? I mean, you've been doing the countdown for, I don't know, more than 10 years, and it seems like every year is better than ever. So how's it going this year, and what's new and different? This is our 13th countdown to Christmas. Okay. Um, So it's my second, and it's going fantastic. We have a lot of people nipping at our heels, a lot of people trying to do what we do. And as our head of programming likes to say, go ahead, you know, there's plenty of room for people to try. But I think that as the OG of, of Christmas rom-coms, et cetera, you, you really can't compete with us. And the numbers are showing that again this year. We are uh, far and above number one still um, in Christmas programming. Uh, the the three wise men and a baby that I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. is the, if I'm getting this right, is the highest rated cable movie of the year so far across all of cable. Um, we had 3.6 wow. million people come in for that one. Well done to you and your team. Thank you. What is it about this culture that you're a part of? You've been there about two years that keeps it fresh and keeps fans coming back and keeps expanding your fan base. It's not easy. I've been part of lots of different cultures in my career. And when you walk into a culture that's creative and energetic and productive, you feel it. But it's a very, very special thing. And I think it's the most special thing to have a culture such as yours. So what are one or two things about the magic of your culture that keeps doing this year in and year out? We get made fun of sometimes for consistency. Sure. Yeah. I mean, gosh, Jimmy Kimmel has done some hilarious stuff on us. But I think people know what they're going to get when they come and not in a in a way that's like, this is boring and I've seen this a hundred times. But I know that when I come to see this movie or I buy this item or I'm I'm part of this sort of Hallmark universe that I'm going to have a joyful, positive, uplifting experience. There's no um surprises, there's not violence attached to it. There's not we we tackle tough subject matter, but we do it in a way that um that leaves people understanding that there is good in the world. And 
people, especially during um, the pandemic, uh, that was one of the highest years for Hallmark movies. And the reason being that the world is tough right now, <laughs> you know, and people turned to us for a bright light. And I think that they know that that's what they're going to get. It's going to come to them in different ways. Sometimes it's about sisterhood or brotherhood or, um, you know, a broken family that comes back together or what have you. But there are many facets of love that, that the brand has. And I think that's the reason that people um, are attracted to us and come back to us over and over is because they feel a sense, a steady sense of, um, of joy. What could other brands learn from that? Not in your category, consumer products, automotive, whatever it might be. What could they learn from that? Two things being true to the brand. I have worked in so many brands where, uh, they're trying to be all things to all people or get that message watered down in some way because they're trying to fit in something else or they get scared, right? They get scared and they say, oh, this is happening over here. Look at this shiny object. We should be that. Whereas I think that this television brand is built off of a 112-year-old card brand that stood for something. And you talk a lot on your show about brand purpose and we have one and we don't back down from that. That doesn't mean you can't evolve, but stand for something and mean it. How do you talk about your brand purpose internally? I mean, what's the language you use? How do people say it in their own words when you're bantering in the hallways or working in projects? It's funny. I, I, um, I started saying, you know, Hallmarkify it. <laughs> and mm. uh, there's an unspoken language where you don't even really have to explain too much more than that. Don't get me wrong. We have it on paper. We put things through a brand funnel. That's essential to any brand. As I said before, we're not reinventing the core brand principles that we know that there's likely going to be a kiss or two if it's a rom-com. We know that at the end of the movie, it's going to end on an upbeat. Um, there are certain parts, they're not formulaic. They're just essential. I mean, it's in the culture, right? When you say hallmarkify it, people get it. And I think a lot of the language you use so far in this uh, in this show about positivity, joy, you know, uh, smiles, togetherness. I mean, those are all your concepts, and I'm, you know, those are very, very deep uh, characteristics of, of your brand that have been there since the beginning. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, since uh, you know, since Mr. Hall was out there, you know, creating uh, postcards and selling them on the street, that that was his vision, and to see that carried through into an entertainment, uh, you know, from a card to a movie is pretty cool. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Now let's talk about your CMO role. You've been there about two years. You joined in December 2020 in the midst of the pandemic, and you were 
at Discovery Inc. for 11 years doing really interesting things, which we will talk about a little bit later in the show. But I'd like to know what compelled you to leave a great role at a great company for this opportunity? Well, I, I survived and thrived and loved my career at Discovery. And, you know, sometimes you just know it's time for a change, right? Um, I had done seven shark weeks <laughs> and somebody that I had worked with at Discovery and really admired, Wanya Lucas, was the brand new CEO over at Hallmark. And she gave me a call. We started talking. I had left Discovery and taken a little time and was sort of doing some freelance work and kind of figuring out what I wanted to do next. And when she started talking to me about what her vision was and and how things were going to evolve and modernize. And, and I just, I got really excited. I mean, you don't often get a role as a marketer where there's an established brand, there's a, you know, 112 year old brand that is asking, how do we modernize and evolve, still stay true to our core, but there's a big challenge ahead. And that just sounded like a lot of fun. You're the first Hallmark CMO in more than a decade. Now, why did your CEO decide to bring that role back after 10 years? And why do you think she chose you? The, the departments uh, which make up the the marketing world were reporting into various different different um, heads of the company. She came up as a marketer. <laughs> you know, Wanya um, had had a very successful career in marketing, and I think she could identify and understand that that those functions work better together and work well under one umbrella. So I think she felt it was time to unite the on-air promotion with the design, with the, um, you know, marketing, with the social. And again, I don't, I don't want to speak for her, but I think that that's, that's what she was thinking. And as far as, as, as why me, um, I was kind of a little bit more of a peon when she was working at Discovery, but I grew up on the creative side. I, I was a writer producer and a creative director and, and very, very passionate about the creative always. And I think that she had seen me in, in, in that role and, and capacity and, and we had stayed in touch. And, uh, I think she just, she knew that I was somebody that, um, worked hard, that loved brands that, you know, whether, you know, I moved from TLC where I was doing weddings and cupcakes and these things and moved over to a world of, you know, crab fishermen and, <laughs> and motorcycles and cars and things that I knew nothing about, but, you know, but can dig into and be passionate about. And I think um, she knew that she needed a change maker. And mm -hmm. I am somebody who can say the thing that other people maybe don't want to say in a room, um, but they're thinking. Um, and I'd like to think that I can, you know, be there as people spread themselves and, and, and push the edges of a brand. I know two of your priorities as you were coming in were to elevate and, uni and unify your team and to lift some of the creative restrictions. I think you phrased it on the Hallmark brand as you worked on a brand restage. So I'd like you to talk about each of those because I think they're really interesting, Laura. So talk about the team and sort of what you saw, what you did, what you learned. And then and a restage on the Hallmark brand is a 
is a challenging one, right? Definitely. As you say, 112 years old, very, very deep roots uh, and things that can never change and things that maybe should have changed. So I'd love you to talk about each one of those, how you would, how you approach them and what you learned. As far as the team goes, um, I came in and I had a group, I had a large chunk of the group that had been there for a long time. Some of them since the get-go, 20 years, 15 years. Um, I would say probably 70% of the team had a, had a long tenure. And that comes with, um, both a lot of positives and a lot of challenges, right? The people understand the brand through and through. They've been there through the different phases of the brand. Yet it can be challenging if there have been certain restrictions on things or this is the way we always do it or that we're doing it this way because, and then you ask because, and they're not quite sure why. And so the team, I found bits and parts of the team that were so talented that had kind of switched to, um, I don't know, autopilot a bit, right? And so getting in there and saying, hey, show me that stuff that you put in your desk drawer that, that you never brought to the service. Um, what are your ideas that you feel like the brand should embrace that haven't been embraced? What are the things that you've got you know, in your inspiration file on your computer that you've not brought forward. I want to see those, you know? And so there was a moment where I think I literally said to the team, like, if you felt you've had creative handcuffs on, I, I, I'm giving the key is yours. It's they're not just off, like the keys yours. And, and some people really, it took them a minute to be like, wait, what? How do I do this? And then other folks just really embraced it. And it was really great to watch people. I think part of it is, as we all know, is just giving people permission, space, support to do what they do best. And um, I am of the mindset that it's so much better to give people that permission and, and, and ease it back if it needs to, than, than really hold tight on the reins. Um, I know that from riding horses, you got to relax, right. Yeah, and let right, people right. run. The woman who um, is head of design, she just celebrated 20 years. And I am, I am very, very impressed by her um, to be reinventing Christmas <laughs> for 20 years her, she is a true, per, she's an artist, but she is also somebody who absolutely understands the business. And so it's, it's been really cool to work with, um, with Jen Lee Temple on those things. And then of course, you know, there was just bringing in some fresh blood too into a team, right? So the balance between folks who are on board for the next phase of the company keeping those people engaged and moving them forward and then, you know, bringing in some new energy and some new ideas. And so um, that's, that's kind of what we did with the team. So when you talk about a brand restage and lifting creative restrictions, I mean, that's both of a, something that's relevant to the team and also obviously to your external facing brand. What sorts of things did you do when you think about a refresh on such a storied brand with such a clear brand equity? We wrote a creative brief first. We went out mm -hmm. and, 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 and did an RFP and, and really sort of said and studied what is it about this brand besides Christmas. But we have many other months of the year where we deliver original programming. 
So at the core of Christmas, of our rom-coms, of our series, what is the thing that we deliver? And we went and studied that. And it was all about love. And I think that's a word that many brands use, many people use, but I do feel that it's a hundred percent accurate that every time we can deliver on that. It's not something that we have to work really, really hard. You know, sometimes when you're in those marketing roles and you got to figure out, you know, the new thing, the new attribute that you're going to push or how to, how to make all these pieces fit together in one umbrella. This was not that hard. It was sort of like, right, it's love. And so the tagline came where love happens. Um, I think we still have more work to do in, in the expression of that and the, and galvanizing our fan base to really get behind that. But that is where we started. The brand had not done an actual brand spot in many, many years, let alone an off channel paid campaign with that. And so, um, we did that this past, um, January, we came out with a, with a campaign about where love happens. And it was, it was one of those spots that was so fun to do because it it did what we do, which is just put some joy and happiness out into the world and make people smile and find little moments of joy and happiness that people share together and express that and show how that relates back to our brand. And then I have an amazing partner in Lisa Hamilton Daly, who is also fairly new to the channel, who has come in to create these amazing programs that we're doing. And how she has been evolving the programming has been something that has made my job as a marketer just more rich because those attributes of evolution as far as modernizing things. I remember one thing Wanya said when I first came, she's like, like, let's have a meet cute at a dog park. How about that? You know, instead of at a small town corner, like how can we modernize this? You know, if you step back from your brand, you began as a greeting card company, which became a media company, which is now a lifestyle company. You're in tea and wine and some beauty and bath products. So how do you decide that? How do you how do you figure out which categories that are right for you and where this brand can go and maybe should not go? That's an excellent question and something that I've been working. My boss has been asking me that a lot because we have an incredible amount of partnerships this year, um, especially around Christmas time. And I think the goal is to 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 be where the as everyone is just to be where our consumers are. Um, The choices are about. Brand match right? Uh, What are the attributes of a certain brand that we might partner with that works well with ours? But then also our whole thing as marketers is we love our consumer. We got to know where they are, where she is, where she's shopping, what she's doing and be there and show up in some unexpected places and some expected places. So when I came in last year, I'm like, we need to be at Christmas tree farms. Like, you know, we, we went around, we found some local Christmas tree farms around the country and just started being a part of those Christmas tree farms. And, 
you know, it's not just a photo op, but we would give away, you know, every couple of trees would be a tree on Hallmark Channel. So that's just a very simple thing, but it shows that we're, you know, we're part of Christmas and that has expanded into, you know, being where our consumer is. As you mentioned, like we, we started a, it has been so fun. We started a wine business, Hallmark Channel Wines. With great names, by the way. I love your names. Thank you. Those have been so fun. I never thought as a TV marketer that I would have a part of like designing wine labels and naming them. And so that has been, you know, a lot of fun. So how do we decide is your question. Again, it's, it's taking a look at where is our consumer? Can we be there where he or she is and help enhance their experience, help lift our brand um, by partnering with other brands that are of, of like mine? Now, as I look at everything you and your team do, I mean, the partnerships, the programming, the initiatives, it's kind of mind boggling as I look at it from the outside. So I'd like to just ask you a simple question. How do you manage it all? as a CMO, and how the heck do you decide where you personally focus? How I manage it is, is, is how I manage everything the best I can. <laughs> I just always try to do the best I can. And sometimes that means I'm more focused on one thing one day than I am on another. I also try not to beat myself up about the things that fall through the cracks because they're going to. Um, and having amazing people um, that I work with. So I know that if, if I can't handle something, I'm going to, somebody else on my team is going to handle it and they're going to do it great. And I don't have to worry about it. Um, I also just, I get excited about things. Having enthusiasm, I think takes you a long way. So, you know, this weekend we, um, we, we became part of this Christmas experience called Enchant, nine locations across the country for this Christmas light maze. And it's, it's so cool. And I I got to go see, uh, I've seen two of them so far, but they sent me a video this weekend of a marriage proposal that took, we have this huge hallmark heart and a marriage proposal that took place. I mean, to me, that, that is the, that is, that is love. That is the epitome of what we were trying to do with that experience. Not necessarily like have marriage proposals take place there, but that is a byproduct of, of what we were doing, which was putting love into the world. And we got a phone call that at one of our tree lots, one, another marriage proposal is being planned for this coming weekend. And could we help with it? Now, you've been two years in the role. I'd like to ask you, what are you most proud of in those two years? I am very proud of the evolution in a short amount of time. Since I have been, and this is not all me, this is just, I'm a small portion of it. But this year we have a same-sex couple as a lead in a Hallmark Channel Christmas movie. We launched Mahogany, which is a African-American focused franchise that is based off of our very successful card line. We have included basically everyday diversity in a way that I think has been so well received and very powerful. And I love being part of something that was sort of known for being a bit mm, not very inclusive to in a short amount of time, 
feeling like a place where this is a channel for everyone. And I, I am so proud of being part of, of that journey. And then just, just from a sort of a, I guess, a creative standpoint, something that's kind of small, but fun for me is, um, we have this graphics package this year that's built on knitting and it's called a, we called it cozy Christmas and it has a lot of knitted things. And I was like, this design is so cool. I wish we could make wrapping paper out of this. And (laughs) a couple of days later, Danielle Mullen on my team came to me and said, Laura, I'm going to make that wrapping paper. And we made the wrapping paper. And I just think that's, you know, it got included in our gift wrap kits and we're giving it away. And I don't know, it was just something small that was like, wow, this is really cool. And I have the ability to use other parts of my company to, to execute something. Um, so that was kind of well, fun. I just want to pause on that. Just this, it's a statement about your culture. Someone came forward and said, I think we should do something with this design. And you said, go for it, which you talked about that a few minutes ago, enabling people to come forward with their best ideas, their best self, and you made it happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, if, if cultures that, that are creative and that are innovative, they have to say yes a lot. Knowing full well, it all, it all won't work. I couldn't agree more. And and that is very refreshing about, I think, um, Wanya Lucas, who I spoke about earlier, I, I do feel she says yes more than she says no. And that mm-hmm. is a rare thing. Um, and I, I definitely try to model that. So what's been most challenging for you in these two years? <sighs> the same thing that's been, uh, been fun, which is a 112 year old brand that needs to modernize. Right. Um, yeah. how do you, yeah. how do you make sure that you don't alienate your core but that you attract new audience. Um, it's a very, very competitive environment. I don't have to tell you what, especially, you know, entertainment business looks like right now. Streaming is the, is, is where people are. How do I continue to drive, um, linear viewing and roll in, um, and streaming. And I have some extremely loyal fans, um, which, is so I I have not experienced this level of fandom before in my career and making sure that I hold on to those folks while pushing the edges of the brand and, and rolling the ball forward is um, a challenge in our everyday work. Are there any surprises? I mean, when I think about your loyal Hallmark fans, the ones that have really, you know, the really, really ardent fans, I have a mental image of them. <laughs> yes. Is is there anything that would surprise me? A hundred percent, because it really shocked me. Last year, I came in and we said, let's do a contest, not a sweepstakes, a contest. It was dual purpose. It was like, I really wanted to get to know the fans. And I also just felt like we we have a lot of people who want to be our chief fan officer, our CFO, mm-hmm. our number one fan Tim, 10,000 people had legit entries and to enter and be legit, you had to send a video or a letter about why you were our number one fan. And my team and I went through every single one of those. We had a firehouse (laughs) of, of these firemen that talked about watching that 
Hallmark Channel was on all day long at the firehouse beyond just Christmas. I was blown away by that. Um, sorority houses, uh, tons of, as you would expect, you know, mother, daughter. Uh, but there were a lot more co-viewing. In other words, you know, men and women um, that were watching it together, more men than I had uh, had anticipated. Obviously, that's not our, you know, our, our number one uh, <laughs> demo, but yeah. but they're there along for the ride and they don't they don't have a problem admitting it. Um, so um, and and the, the sorority houses that that was a bit shocking to me, too, because it's not the uh, real housewives or, you know, anything like that or something that's salacious. And and but we had a huge um, population of sorority girls that were like, I love Hallmark Channel. And uh, and so that's how all that fan merchandise was born. I mean, I, I don't know of another entertainment brand that could sell a $19.99, this is my Hallmark Channel watching shirt. I don't think many of our competitors, they might be able to give that away, but I don't know that their fans are going to buy popcorn bowls that say Hallmark Channel and wine glasses and all these things to show off their fandom. That has been a, a huge surprise to me. Well, the mark of a great brand is that it has loyal fans and fans that stick up for the brand maybe when things don't go as well as as they could. What could others learn from how you built over time this incredible base of fans? Hmm. I cannot take any credit for building the fan base, but I would say that the way it, it, it goes back to the consistency and I think mm-hmm. giving, um, super serving those fans I want to switch to your career path now and go way back because I think your career path is is so interesting. Your first job in media or one of your first jobs in media after college was in Texas and Lubbock, I think, and you produced a children's TV show. What did you learn from that very early experience that has stayed with you to this day? I got that job because I was a camp counselor, (laughs) not because... I had a degree and in, in communication and had done a, a you know some internships in, in broadcasting and things like that. But they essentially were looking for somebody that had a background with kids and was willing to move to Lubbock, Texas. I left Austin, Texas, which was awesome for arguably maybe the armpit of the world <laughs> in Lubbock, Texas. Um, but I did not know that that job as a camp counselor was going to ultimately land me a job in the field that I really wanted to be in, in television. And that was a lesson. And the other thing was I did everything at that job. I put everything into it. I wanted to redo the set. They said, no, I, I said, if I do it myself, if I, if I get the paint, so I did whatever I needed to do to like push the limits there. I liked sh- starting in a smaller market because I was able to do all kinds of things that I would have never gotten to have done if I had started off in New York. Now you spent the bulk of your professional career to date at Discovery. And I think your first piece of work with them was a documentary you produced about your personal experience in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Now, that sounds like a really good Hallmark movie. Would it be? 
uh, it would have to be highly edited. (laughs) It would have to be highly edited. Um, I was working in marketing. I was a promo producer and I was sitting home like many of us were looking at the horrible images coming out of uh, New Orleans and Mississippi. And I can only explain it by like, I got, I just felt this, like, I can't sit here on my couch and watch this. And I literally just drove to the Red Cross and I was like, what can I do? I'll do anything. And they said, can you make these calls to our volunteers? We need people to go down there. This was two days after the storm. So I spent the day calling people, asking them if they could volunteer. And at the end of the day, I thought, why am I asking other people if they can volunteer? And so I essentially went into my boss's office the next day and I said, I'm really sorry. I know I'm shooting. I think I was shooting Martha Stewart the next week because we were doing this special with her. Anyway, I said, I, I know this is sudden, but like I need to take my two week vacation and I need to go tomorrow. <laughs> and and he said, hmm, OK, well, take this camera with you. And I said, I can't. I have to literally like backpack my stuff in. And he was like, Laura, just take this camera at least. So I did. And I ended up shooting all the people who had done what I did, which was never volunteered for anything like this before. And they volunteered. I didn't intend to shoot a documentary, but I guess to answer your long way of saying, yes, there was definitely like this spirit of trying to uplift a very, very tough situation. We were down there five days after the storm sleeping on, you know, the floor of a church with no power, no electricity, no food around. I mean, it was, it was intense, but the people, the spirit, the human spirit of people from all walks of life that came, they had the highest, I I used to know this stat, but it was like, I forget, like the highest rate of people ever to volunteer during Katrina. That was a very impulsive decision you made Mm -hmm. and you were moved by what you saw. I mean, have you, do you do things like that a lot in your job? Yes. <laughs> um, I try not to just, you know, totally do things off the cuff that have no relevance and no strategy. And just cause I get, you know, feel the, feel the, feel the urge or the whim, but mm-hmm. I do try to allow for room to be spontaneous, to think, to have something come into my brain and act on it, not sit on it, not test every single thing. I love data. I love to make sure that I get it right. But as we all know, this work is about art and science. And I also think it's about strategy and impulse. If we could just do this work based off of numbers that dictated exactly how to do it, then none of us would have jobs, honestly. And so, yes, there are times that I am, I I do act on impulse. I do act on gut or I say like, let's try this. Like, for example, (laughs) this year, and I don't even know if I want to say this, but I will. I was like, you know what? Here's an easy way, not an easy way, but a fairly easy way that we could reach out to communities. Let's go to little towns all over the country that where we can that do Christmas lights in their town. Let's set up a webcam. 
People love to go on webcams. They'll, they'll look at penguins. You know, I learned that from my days at, at Animal Planet. They'll look at whatever on these webcams. I'm like, people love Christmas lights. Let's set up these webcams in these various cities. I have no idea if this is going to work, but I thought it would be something fun. So we're doing that. I love that. Now, listen, you said when uh, earlier in the show that you did seven shark weeks while you're at Discovery. And I mean, it doesn't get much more viral than that. And people forget that it wasn't a thing once. Mm -hmm. And your team and maybe people who came before you made it a thing. So I'd like you to speak a little bit about what others could learn from how you took a low rated property, frankly, and made it basically a household name. That was very intentional. When I came in, they said, this is probably going to be our last shark week. It was 25th anniversary. It's low rated. It's, we just, and I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, come on. This is like, everybody knows shark week. You you don't even have to explain it. And, um, and I went back and studied some of the great work that had come before me. And I looked at some of the shows and the team started thinking like, what is happening here? And what was happening was we're taking ourselves too seriously, especially in the marketing, because the only thing we needed to do was tell people it was on. I mean, people would write about planning their summer vacation around Shark Week. People would dress up in Halloween costumes. This is even prior to this kind of pop culture moment that we tried to establish. And so we went about the business of just getting noticed again. And this is the first time I've, I did this and it was a gamble. I went in with one idea, one idea for Shark Week. I didn't bring a back pocket idea. I told the team, we're not going in with anything else. And everyone was like, this is not even going to get approved, Lara. Why are you doing this? We set up the premise that the marketing needed to propel things in a different way, that we needed to stop taking ourselves seriously, that we just needed to get noticed. And so the concept was there was a reporter standing on a pier and she was reporting that there was a seal that had been rehabilitated and it was going to be released back into the ocean live. And she turns down the Santa Monica pier and you see Snuffy the seal being released back into the ocean. And all of a sudden a giant shark comes up, grabs it. And it's like, the, and the reporter goes, Oh shit. And it, and it was just shark week. <laughs> I get, I basically got hate mail <laughs> inside the company. When I pitched this, they were like, the scientists are going to hate us. They're never going to want to work with us again. You're going to ruin shark week. And My boss at the time had very mixed feelings, but she was like, I think you're on to something, but you have to pitch it to David Zasloff. You. DZ has a, you know, I think uh, he he is a, uh, he's an amazing guy actually. And he took this pitch and gave me the support to do it. And it was not, he said yes, he said yes ish. Um, I talked about the fact that it was scientifically correct because scientists talk often about releasing seals that they've rehabilitated and sharks grab them up right away. Um, but anyway, we aired it 
for the first time during a live special we had where Nick Walinda was walking across the Grand Canyon. It was a very highly rated uh, live show. It was so fun at the time to see. We said Snuffy the Seal once in the spot. It started trending right away. Snuffy the Seal, Shark Week, Nick Walinda. We had all the trends. Of the, and it was just, it was such a rewarding, like we had the highest rated Shark Week ever in the history of Shark Week that year. I'm not saying it's all marketing, but just saying. Shows the power of shows marketing. Shows the power of marketing. Um, it was it was just one of those moments where you, in your career, where you're like, I'm standing in the ring of fire and I'm going to stand here because I believe in this. And um, and from there, it just, it was so much fun doing that. I ended up like subsequent spots. We brought actual seal, like the singer seal, and he got eaten by a shark. And the lesson was, I think, a strategic gamble. And it was a gamble um, in the sense that, Again, there was a lot of concern of like, what does that do to the brand? Are we going to be taken as not serious if we come out this way? But there was this beautiful marriage between, hey, we can just have fun with this too. Mm -hmm. Some of our programming is going to be serious, but some of it's going to be fun. Then we went on to have, you know, different kinds of pro, you know, we had a shack go down. He was scared of sharks. We had him go down and, you know, in a shark cage and like the programming started to get a bit more pop culture as well. It's a great story. Now, I want to shift to the creator brief. And the first question I have for you is what is the first holiday movie you remember making an impact on you? Rudolph. I mean, Rudolph was probably the first mm -hmm. one I, I saw yeah. as a kid. I just, I loved it. I just remember watching it, you know, like a, traditional kind of thing. I could, I think I could probably recite most of it. Um, it was definitely part of our sort of family tradition. So yeah, I still love watching that one. What's the most memorable Christmas present you've ever received? Hmm. One year, my mom just, it was a collection of little things. I think I was 21 that year and it was a collection of like 21 you know, some were very, very small and, and some were kind of big, but it was just a collection of things that were all very special, had different sentimental meanings or funny meanings or whatever. But it was just this. My mom is the most amazing gift giver. But that one just stuck out because it was just like she knew 21 really special things that would, you know, hit me right here. So that was a cool one. Your mom's idea is a good one for our listeners. I think we've just given our listeners yeah. an idea for a really special mm -hmm. present. So what's the most memorable present you've ever given? Well, it was one back to my mom. Uh, she, longtime school teacher and principal, um, book lover. And when the uh, little libraries started coming out, remember, you know, those where you can buy, borrow a book or place a book. Yep. yep. Um, I bought her her own little library that looks like her house. To this day, I mean, she decorates it for every season. She takes very, I mean, she curates the books that she puts in there and kids in her neighborhood, you know, come around and they're always looking to see what Miss Marianne has in her uh, little library. So that, I think that was a, that I did, I did pretty good on that one. <laughs> oh, I think you did. So what's, what's the first brand you remember making an impact on you as a young girl? Coke, Coca-Cola. My parents uh, were born and raised in Mississippi. 
And they did not sort of leave the state until after college. But the reason I bring up the South is they neither one of them drank coffee. Just it was not you either drank iced tea or Coke in the morning. And I just remember that being like sort of an integral part of our day to day. But I also just remember the early marketing side of me was like when I went to other places, I would say, I want a Coke um, or I'll have a Coke. But I wasn't necessarily meaning Coke, like actual Coke. I was meaning like pop or soda or whatever. It was just that you you could say Coke and you meant it's like saying Kleenex or whatever. But, you know, I'd like to buy the world a Coke and all the different everything they did with that. And then as I got older, traveling to, you know, I remember my first trip to Europe and when I was, my grandma took me to um, Europe when I was 10 and it was like, oh my gosh, they have Coke here or they have bought, you know? So I just, I don't know. I just, I think that brand um, is incredible, incredible and all the iterations that it's gone through. So. I love that story. That's very on brand for Coke. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) Now, you've worked with more celebrities than most marketers. Who have you learned the most from? Look, you learn from every single experience, right? They're all different. Yep, yep. But one that stands out a lot, and it's, I guess it's just a sort of an obvious one, but Oprah. Um, I was working at Oxygen at the time, and she was. this was when she was connected to the to the brand, I was a fairly young uh, creative director and I was shooting a promo with her, with Oprah. Wrote the script. She was coming to shoot, you know, I think we had her for like 15 minutes or something. And I mean, I was like nerdy, like clipboard, so nervous, you know, the whole thing, not to mention Jerry Laybourne and all the folks who were heads of the network were there for the shoot, which was tough. So she walks in into the room and everyone's trying to, you know, talk to her whenever. And she says, where's Laura Richardson? And I was like, me, you know, raising my hand in the corner. And she's like, are we, are we ready to do this? And, you know, she kind of just, she parted the sea and she knew my name was on the script as the producer. And she looked right at me and said, let's start. And she she read the line and, you know, people were kind of commenting. And she said, Laura, how, do, how did that sound? You know, she 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 kind of blocked everybody out, all the people that were supposed to be the big wigs in the room. And she just knew what she was doing. She knew that, you know, I was in charge of this, that I was going to be the one who was in the edit bay making this work, that it didn't matter that I, you know, was not the CEO of the company, that I was a writer producer. And I just, I, she was no nonsense. And and she also respected me enough to say, is there anything you'd like me to do differently? I've worked with a ton of celebrities. Not only would they not ever ask that, they certainly didn't want to hear that. Um, Of course, I didn't really have many notes for her, but, (laughs) but anyway, I just, that made me feel really good. And, and it was just nice to see her in action. If we were to make a Hallmark movie about your life, what would the title be and who would be the big stars in that movie? Oh my gosh. This is such a hard question, Jim. Um, you know what? I, th- I think it would have to be like an unknown, like an up and coming actress mm-hmm. that has like a, that, that star quality to her, but she may not be like 
a, a, a known, known name. I, my daughter would probably play herself. Um, the title would be, you know, something about um, around the world with love. Um, I think that I have been, you know, just for the sheer fact of being a military brat, um, my life every two or three years was upended and moved to the next place. And I kind of continued that in my adult life. You know, I definitely have learned that sort of the definition of, of home isn't about, you know, a structural place or any of that. And that, you know, being grounded with your family and love, just you can go all the different places and it, it still kind of comes back to that. So I think, um, yeah, I think it would be something, something like that. And then, you know, I would go on location to all, you know, Puerto Rico is where I went to high school. So it'd be all these different locations. And I, of course, myself would have to go and oversee that. So I'd be traveling around. <laughs> of course you yeah. would. <laughs> around the world with love. Yeah. I think we have to end on that one. <laughs> okay. It's a, it's a beautiful thought, Laura. And thank you for this lovely, wonderful sentimental and inspiring conversation and thanks to you and your team for all you do to make the holidays so special for so many people this episode has been just chock full of lessons for any brand marketer and frankly any human being so thank you laura i wish you a very happy holiday and i'd love to continue this conversation maybe next year to see how everything has evolved i would love that thank you jim and you are you are such a great marketer and an amazing interviewer. And I really appreciate you having me here. I've enjoyed this a lot. Thank you. That was my conversation with Laura Richardson. Three takeaways from this one for your business brand and life. Hey, the first one, put a little fun in your marketing. I loved how she talked about Shark Week. And I asked her what happened to make it from an obscure property to a viral sensation. She just said, we put a bit of fun in our marketing. Second takeaway. Make sure everyone on your brand understands the brand and understands their role in building it. I loved how Laura talked about when they look at something and they say, let's hallmarkify it. They all understand what that means. They understand the brand deeply and that's why they are so consistent. And third takeaway, this one's about creativity. Laura talked about taking the creative handcuffs off, even when you are working on a well-understood established brand like Hallmark. She said it's really important to bring creativity to everything and ensuring that your organization understands that the handcuffs don't necessarily need to be there. Yes, there are boundaries, but take off the creative handcuffs. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, Leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.